You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm Sapphire Master. My pronouns are him, his, and he. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. So what are we drinking today? We're drinking a drink called Preakness. It's one and a half ounces of rye whiskey, three quarters of an ounce of sweet vermouth, a quarter ounce of Benedictine, so it's another Benedictine cocktail, and a dash of Angostura bitters with a lemon twist. Okay, so let's just review. <laughs> so the Benedictine is super floral. Mm-hmm. The Angostura bitters are super floral. Mm-hmm. And then what else is in it? Sweet vermouth. Floral-ish, yeah. Ish. And rye whiskey. And rye. And rye has that spiciness to it. Yeah. I'm going to say this is going to be delicious. Well, yeah, I hope so. All right, let's check it out. It smells really... I smell the rye. Yeah. Ooh. That is delicious. Now, I like that. That's... You know what that is? It's a twist. It's not exactly like a Manhattan. But there are elements of it that is like that type of cocktail. It's in that lane. Yes. You can taste the Benedictine this time in a different way than we had the last cocktail Mm -hmm. with Benedictine in it. I like this one. That's lovely. I like this one. That's a good drink. It's got a really nice balance. You know, it's great. It's complex. It's balanced. It tastes... There's a sweetness to it. Yeah. Without having it be a cocktail that has simple syrup Mm -hmm. or something. The sweetness is actually the uh, Benedictine, the liqueurs, the, the sugars and the alcohol... The way they play give you that sweetness versus just the alcohol ah flavor. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't expect that to taste like that. I didn't know. It what... intrigued me because it had Benedictine again, and I thought, right. I've never really, you know, it's a it's an alcohol you can have on your shelf and drink straight, of course. Yes. And it can sit on your shelf for a long time. Well, what I love about Benedictine is that it has so many interesting flavors in it mm-hmm. that whatever you mix it with, a different facet of its flavor profile emerges. I know. So what you have in here with the lemon twist, yeah. you have the lemon oils, you have the citrus oils, mm-hmm. you have the angostura and you have the vermouth and you have the the spiciness from the, the spiciness rye. from the rye. You just have you just have just a lot of But it's a, things this is a good cocktail. playing that pull different parts of the Benedictine and so what comes out is this really balanced... So when I smell, I smell, of course, the citrus, because this, this twist there, but I mm-hmm. smell the Benedictine. Like, I can smell all these different aromatics. I love this drink. This is a great drink, actually. I'm, yeah, this is a great drink. All right, so chapter 16. <laughs> what was that, three words? Super short chapter. <laughs> I think I maybe had, on the Kindle, four pages, maybe. maybe. Yeah, it's a really short chapter. You know, it's interesting because she really, at the outset of that chapter, shares where her head is in the context of their dynamic. Their dynamic. Yeah. She's into control. She wants that control. Yeah, like she she kind of diminishes his furnishings in his apartment mm-hmm. where they meet. But all of that is like secondary to what she craves is the control. Yeah. So she puts up with all of that 
or dismisses it with the control. Yeah, and she's present to that. It differentiates her from what we today refer to as civilians. You know, or vanilla, like van- she, a vanilla civilian population. She thinks. I mean, really, she's stated this pretty much. She feels superior. Yes. She feels she has this naughty secret that she can't share, and that makes it all the more attractive to her. Right. That she has this secret but you they and I, only knew. Yeah, but you and I have the same experience. Mm-hmm. We are experiencing a dynamic that for each of us, makes our life feel way more interesting and better than it's ever felt. And we look around at people who aren't up to this game that we're playing, mm-hmm. and we feel like we've, we've got like a secret. We've got something so over on them. I, we recently visit people, so I have this exact instance in my head. Yes. So how do I feel? I do feel there's a secret because it, there is a secret. But, it, but I don't feel ashamed of why no. there's a secret. I just think it's... People can't handle it, you know? Right. What I think about it a lot is the pure joy and happiness and freedom and, ex- and authentic expression we have. I really am present to, to be honest, even kinksters are, are in this boat too. This is other people. I'm just talking about other people, whether they're vanilla or kinksters. Don't have that connection. Right. I think really there are few people that have this type of connection because a lot of people have stories right? and a lot of space. And then I think there's a group of people, a percentage, I don't know, it's a small percentage, I assume, that has this connection where we do kind of walk through the world with a secret. But I don't feel superior. I just feel like I have access to stuff that they don't have access to. to. Yes. And I can't just flip a switch for them to give them access. No. This this takes work. It's ongoing work. So for me, it's not, I'm just playing occasionally, and then I right. have this dirty secret, like it's a dirt, I'm, I pretend I'm a librarian, but really I'm a whore on the other side, right? right? It's not that. I'm actually living this 24-7. So for me, it's different than what she said. But I can right. get how she says that. I get Right, but I can completely relate mm-hmm. to the feeling she has talking to her vanilla friends. Mm-hmm. Like, she has an inside knowingness that they don't have. She knows something they don't know. And I get that. And she relates it to, it's if they knew that I wanted to be tortured and kept and punished, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't understand. Right. Yeah. And then you get into the sense that, you know, she doesn't even care where it's happening. She wants it so much. Yeah. And then you hear about that her divorce is final. So now Yeah, she's... that was a really weird way how they explained that. Right. But it does give us clarity that she's officially divorced because she ran into a, a chapter ago or a couple chapters ago where her... Ex-husband. Hu- well, he wasn't ex yet, but her husband... Soon to be ex-husband. Who they had been apart for a year or more... Right. Um, ...had shown up looking for her at her apartment. And right. I'm sure that's to serve her papers. But what ended up happening was he filed for divorce because she was unavailable, right? And then she sees the clipping. Right. Her sister sent her the clipping from the town of Leicester where she had lived. And so she gets this newspaper clipping. And what she notes in the clipping is that the name of the law firm took up more space than the announcement of the divorce. Right. 
Right. So anyway, so she's divorced. And then Gordon, who's been away, mm-hmm. and the way she experiences that, mm-hmm. the way we hear her experience of that is that is that she enjoyed the opportunity to go and visit a bunch of people and be invited around and get to see people where she has her feeling of superiority. But then Gordon comes back and what does he do? Walks in the house and just uses her. Yeah, that throws her on the ground basically to uses her. Right. The first thing. But that never seems to be her issue. That, no. that That's something she, I think if he didn't, it would be out of character for him and right. she would think there's something wrong. Well, I want to just put a note in here, which is she talks about loving the control and so forth. Mm-hmm. And remember, she spoke openly about being raped and being humiliated in public. Mm-hmm. And she still wants that. And she still looked forward to that. Right. And she's excited about being taken right there on the floor. Taken, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, he tells her to get in the bed. He's in his dressing gown that she hates. Because these are all things we know because she's talked about him. She hates right. the dragon gown he wears. And he goes into a drawer and pulls out some scissors and walks towards... Big pair of scissors. Walks towards her, I guess, kind of sadistically. And she starts screaming and crying out in fear. And then he snaps the scissors right in front of her nose, basically, to get a reaction. And then, you know, asks her, what did you think I would do with him? And she thought, it was crazy, the jump in how she jumped to. Like, I thought you'd cut my breasts off. Truly, to be honest, when that whole scene was happening, and I'm reading it, I thought, he's going to cut her braids off. Right, because it's a total power thing. I thought because it was all hair. about the hair. Right, earlier in the book, so I was like, it, "He's going to cut her braids off or cut one off." Right, you know what I mean? And yeah. then she jumps to she's going to cut like, my breasts she, off. <laughs> she because he's sadistic, so right. she provides the sadist with this ammunition, like flat out. I thought you were going to cut my breasts off. What the? Where did you go from? <laughs> my hair was going to get cut, and I know. We're extrapolating that we thought it was the hair, but that was an obvious thing based on all their interactions. Up to then, yeah. And she comes off out of nowhere like that. That's a very weird conclusion to draw. That's It is weird. Because if he was really going to cut her breasts off, he wouldn't use He'd scissors. He'd have a knife. Right. Right, so she might be naive too. I don't know. It's pretty weird. And then there's this little conversation about how he likes the bed, how he likes to use her laying flat in bed. And she throws the pillows on the floor, and then she gets the pillow set up for she him. Has to, when he comes to bed, actually comes to bed. Yes. She has to smooth all the pillows out and get him a certain way. And then he lays on his back like he's in a coffin. Yeah, exactly. And she lays on him. She rests his head, her head on his, quote, uncomfortable chest, close quote. Yeah. And he doesn't ever... And she's left wondering if he will ever wrap her up in his arms. Yeah. No, He. it's like he lays in a coffin. Yeah. That's how he sleeps. In fact, this is so weird because I had a friend, a roommate or a housemate, I would say, who I could never figure out. She'd make her bed. It was like, and she wasn't ex-military or anything, but she would make it where it was just tighter than shit. Yeah. And she would get into her, she's from the South, so she would get into her dressing gown, whatever, her nightgown of some sort. And would go to the top by the pillows, like sitting on her pillows, would slip her legs in. And, I mean, it's like a cocoon. Wow. She'd get in the bed and then she'd lay like she's in a coffin with her arms straight. And I was like, I don't know, does that look comfortable? I mean, do you lay on your side? of her? Nope, just lay like this. She Like it's in a coffin. So interesting. And 
the t- the sheets are more tight. I mean, like yeah. all of it, and I could never figure it out. But when they described that in the book, I was like, oh my god, that's just like my friend yeah. in college. And I thought it was the most fascinating thing to watch her get in bed. I was like, what the fuck are you <laughs> it's doing? Weird. Yeah, I just think it's a strange. It's a strange relationship they have. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of. I don't know that she loves him, but she definitely chooses him to submit to. I don't think she has a lot of options for power. I think they're, I think she, whether she sees it, because she doesn't see herself as, well, okay, she sees herself as attractive, but not beautiful. Right. And that's a big space provider for her, because she has a lot of story about that. So she definitely, like, eyes up guys in public settings and says, well, I could have that guy. Right. Is what she basically knows. And she knows she could get sex at any point she wants. Right. Not necessarily from who she wants, but she knows she could get it. She's been approached. Right. Yeah. Well, she has that wiles about her, right? right? But it's not what she wants. Sex is not what she wants. She wants the power dynamic. Right. She doesn't have a lot of guys that can give her even close. The only person that gave her in the book so far a power dynamic was the lesbian. Right. And that was based on military rank and also that she was a dominant herself. Right. And she wasn't herself, per se, even bisexual lesbian. I think she just experimented with it because it was a power thing. Right. She was attracted to it. That's the interesting thing. If you think about it, people talk about orientation, and we've been talking about it a lot lately because we've had the pleasure of of interviewing quite a few different people, really transgender people. and right. all kinds of non-binary and that right. kind of thing. And what's fantastic is, you know, you're born with medical gender. Yes. Right? And if you're reading as that gender on the street, let's right. say, then people make a generalization about who you are. And a ton of assumptions. Now, then they watch behavior. People, because nowadays people are a little more wise. Right. So the only the only little other thing in people's toolboxes right now are what are you reading as gender? Okay, you read as a female, therefore you like men. I mean, that's what they're going to say. Or right. you read as a male and you like women. That's the first thing they're going to say off of just visual. Right. Then they're going to talk to you or hear you at, at some point, and then they're going to make a determination on where you really are or where they think you really are. And that would be... Oh, but he sounds kind of effeminate, so he plays both sides of the fence. Right. Or probably he is actually gay. Right. Or likewise female. There's a huge spectrum out there right. of sexuality. And so this is a perfect example of someone, I do not think she's lesbian at all. No. I do not think she's bi. No. I don't even know what you call this, and there probably should be a name, or there. we've talked to Fet Life about this, right? On adding orientations. That this person craves power. Right. No, they don't care what gender per se the power comes from. Right. They just want power. Right. What they and that's an orientation if it you is. think about it because it's not really attached to gender. Right. It's it could be anyone, right? And that's right. why she gravitated to that female sergeant or whatever she yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's a kink called control. I think that's true. And that's her kink. Her kink is control. She wants to have control expressed over her behavior and her experience of being alive. I know this is going to be controversial, but I think, 
I don't know what the word would be. We, there has to be a better word than just control, right? right. There, it's got to be some word. But but there's a non-gender specific orientation that involves, that specifically speaks to control. Well, there is. We call it a power exchange. And it, it's not gender specific. But they don't always use power exchange like an orientation. No. However... We talked just yesterday, it'll be out already, the podcast on Hypno Kink and Sleeping Girl and CC Mm -hmm. are part of a triad. Right. And it's a power exchange triad where CC is the bottom of the totem pole. Totem pole, as she put it. Yeah. Right. So she experiences a total power exchange kink with both Sleeping Girl and also Decide, who's Mm -hmm. their partner. She's And she's married to Decide. She's married to Decide. Right. Right. So here's the point. The point is that her kink is controlled. She said as much. Yeah, right? but okay, but see how you keep saying it? Her kink is control. Right. But what if control what if but wait a minute, what if control is actually, especially in Cece's case, a orientation? It is. It's called a power dynamic. I, I know. That's my point. My point is that, you know, you can say I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm a power dynamic. Yeah, but I don't think people use it that way. Not yet, but I think that's... But I think it's coming that way. Yeah, because... Because think of how great it would be. Someone just says, I'm into power dynamic. Right. And I'm a a bottom, or I'm a sub, whatever. I'm a top. Whatever. Yeah. Therefore, gender doesn't matter. So that's why the term gender fluid exists, because it's not about gender. Or non-binary. Or non-binary. Well, non-binary means, yeah... Something slightly different. Yeah. But if you're gender fluid and into power dynamics, then it doesn't really matter where the power comes from. So it's really about putting those things together. That's what she's doing, right? So our experience of her in this story so far is that she's into a power exchange with Gordon. She's experienced a power exchange from the female sergeant. And... What she's expressing is a commitment to being somebody who experiences control as fulfilling of her self-expression. So when I hear my orientation is gender fluid, yes. I hear someone who is, they're using pronouns they, them. Yes. They're neither identifying themselves as a female or male. They're gender fluid. I'm not even talking about trans. I'm talking about someone who just says they're gender fluid. Right. That has nothing to do with them going through a transition or even thinking about transitioning. Right. They actually could have the gender medical biology of a male, yes. but feel female, but not... Do you know what I mean? There's a million ways to be. There's no right or wrong way. So that's why I'm saying, I don't think this character, I don't think she feels she's gender fluid. What she doesn't care about is where the control comes from. And that's... I know you're saying gender no, fluid, I, 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 but, I, I, but I when agree. you say gender fluid, it's like she doesn't know shit. She very much knows she's a female. I agree. She loves being a female. Yes, I agree. Okay? Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is where in the king community, where is the word that describes the person that has chosen whatever identity gender they want to be, regardless of biology. Right. But what their orientation is, which... Because if you say lesbian, we've seen males claim lesbian. Well, right? Well, trans males. Okay, but claim let's just say, yes. right? And then we see females claim lesbian, yes. right? So when you say lesbian, you kind of have a connotation in your head of what that means, right? Yes. So that's what I'm trying to say to you about her. She is something, 
medically gender-wise and identifies as something, that's great. But her orientation is power. Yes, I agree. I, and, I think... I, and I don't know truly, because kink is evolving, if, if only saying power control or control or something like that is the word that will be good to use in that case for orientation. I think it is, though. I do. And the reason I think it is is because of the point you made at the outset of this conversation, which is that it doesn't really matter where the power comes from. And so what I'm saying is, what about fluid power control or something where what it's connotating is the power can come from anyone. Right. Regardless of medical gender, orientation, whatever, that this person's into power. I don't know. I know it's semantics, but words have meaning. it, It is semantics, and words do have meaning. And I think that the thing that I've learned in this experience of our conversations from the time we started talking to mm-hmm. the time we completed all the interviews and pods that we have, yeah, I think that what I'm understanding, the more I delve into the question of where kink and human sexuality lives together... Mm-hmm is just that, that there is a fluidity to the whole thing, that it's it's not stratified, it's not linear, it's not compartmentalized. And don't get me wrong, I'm not interested at all in creating like a box system where everyone right. fits in a box. I recognize that is not the organic nature of human sexuality. But what is fascinating, if it was suggested earlier on in our podcast that we announce our pronouns. And so we do that off air prior to the interview. We talk about pronouns with our guests to make sure we understand where they're at, what what they want and how they want to be addressed and things like that. We had done part of that before, but we had never done pronouns until it was suggested to us. And then we're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, great. We incorporate that. And so I see this Without putting people in boxes, I still see that thing of being able to say, who is this person? Because let's be honest, people are out there that want to just have power or want to be their power taken. And just like her, they don't care where it comes from. They want, they, that is what gets them off. That's their kink. That's their play. That's what they like to do. And so then think about the opening that would create for people to say, Gender's not important, or orientation, specific orientation is not important, that it's just this that I'm looking for. Well, I think that there's a subset of kinksters for whom that's absolutely the way it is. Yes. Absolutely. Then there's another subset of kinksters who have a more aligned gender identity with one gender or another, yeah, and and they choose to have power coming from a particular gender. Perfect. And yeah. that's fine. Yeah. And so, you know, we always say there's no right way to be. Correct. What this is exciting a conversation about is this notion of power as its own experience of sexuality. Because that's where I think she's coming from. I think so, she too. She doesn't talk about, you know, his penetration moved me in some way no. or... She's not. She does. She does sometimes have orgasms from his like insane machine-like fucking. She does sometimes. She says that, but sometimes, but yeah. Her majority of her writing is not about her orgasms per se, no. she, or her attraction to him, or no. anything in the line with where you would be oriented one way or the other. Right. Her thing is the power. Yes. And how do we speak to that? I mean, I'm just maybe I'm just ignorant on this, but I you know. 
truly as we explore our own journey and, and all the different abbreviations of all the people that are all these different ways and then there's levels within those ways sure you're non-binary you're not just non-binary you're all these other things too right you know humans are complex yes sexuality is complex that's again reinforces for me why consent and agreements are so vital yeah, yeah. because we're all coming from other places yeah well i think so too Short chapter, but interesting conversation. Yeah, it just, yeah. it brings up a lot. I don't know where to go with it. It's well, just you know something what it does? to talk it, about. It brings up a lot because we have context of who she is from the journey in the first 15 chapters. Right. And we have some insight into the experiences that she's participated in, both with Gordon and not with Gordon, mm -hmm. that lead us to be able to say, as she articulates with quite, crystal clarity that what it is she's excited about is being controlled mm-hmm yeah yeah but you like control i do yeah so yeah. you can relate i can totally relate yeah that's it for today if you're interested in kinky relationship coaching online domination or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going please visit our patreon website at lady petra playground you can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! cheers.